This morning we will be looking at chapter 42 as we continue in the story of Joseph. Do you sense us getting near the end of this book? When we first began it some time ago, it seemed quite a daunting task, 50 long chapters, but we are now in the final, in the middle of the final section, the life. And this morning we'll be looking at a form of a reunion between Joseph and his brothers. It's not exactly a complete reunion. We'll see that more later. But let's come together now from the Lord in His Word. This is the very Word of God. It is completely without error. It is completely sufficient. And it is completely authoritative. Chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. And he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we are your servants, our twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, 
We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back in my sack. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, What is this that God has done to us? And when they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to shale. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use this, your word, even as you have down through the ages, that you would use it by the power of your spirit to convict us of sin, to teach us your will, and to show us the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. This chapter, chapter 42 in the book of Genesis, is a story about the beginning of the awakening of the conscience. You know what the conscience is, don't you? We all have one. 
It's that voice that tells us when we have done something right or more often wrong. It has been with man from the fall. And it appears throughout all of history in stories and plays and tales. Of course, the ancient Greeks had a name for the conscience. They personified it as one of their many gods. They were three, as a matter of fact, called the Furies. And they were goddesses who were powerful and harsh and mean. And they would chase down criminals, drive them insane, drive them to sleepless nights to convict them of their guilt. Perhaps it says something about America that we don't have furies. For conscience, we have Jiminy Cricket. You remember that from the old Disney cartoon? Jiminy Cricket, the conscience for Pinocchio? I think it says something about us and our willingness to listen to our conscience that we have turned it from something that accuses us into a cuddly cartoon character. But you see, the conscience is a powerful tool that the Lord uses to mold and to shape us. And He's doing it here in the lives of the ten brothers. It's been some time since we have dealt with them, but now we are about to see God at work and to see that God can do anything that He determines even things that seem impossible to us. So this morning I'd like us to look at the conscience of the ten brothers of Joseph and how the Lord is affecting it through these circumstances. The very first thing that we will see are the circumstances of conscience. How God puts the ten siblings in the perfect place at the perfect time to speak to them. And then second, we will see their conscience awakened as the drama unfolds and they begin to express thoughts that they did not dare to express for almost 20 years. And then the third thing that we will see is their conscience is tested as they come back home and they have to face their father once again. The circumstances of conscience A conscience that is awakened and a conscience that is tested. Well, let's begin then by looking at the circumstances that God places them in. And this should be simple. That God is the one who is in control of all circumstances. We have seen this throughout the book of Genesis. That God is working His will in this family, bringing people into their path, bringing events and difficulties before them, all to bring about His plan. And and this is no less the case here. And these ten brothers are living a life of hard circumstances. We've been looking at Joseph and how hard it would be to be Joseph and to be in in jail and to have chains around our feet and around our neck falsely accused to have all of these problems. But I have to tell you that life back home with Jacob is not much better. It may not be a prison of chains and fetters, but it is a prison of another sort. You see, this is a very dysfunctional family. 
It's a family filled with sorrow. You can just imagine that the brothers thought everything would be better when they got rid of Joseph. And they thought they had the perfect plan. And their father can do nothing but weep. Now, I want you to imagine in your mind's eye the months and years that would pass. That every time something would come up and Jacob would sigh and say, Oh, if only Joseph were here. And they would look at each other. Did somebody spill the beans? Wait. You could imagine the furtive glances. You could imagine the hated looks that would go back and forth. That they would be afraid of each other and afraid of their father. Could you imagine not being able really to relate to anyone in your family for year upon year upon year because you are afraid of what you have done and someone finding out? This... It's a life of horror. How can change possibly come in family? But it gets worse. A famine comes upon the land. And you can imagine now, they feel very much the same way that many people today feel when it fails to rain and the crops don't grow and we wonder whether we will have the means to eat. It's a dark famine. Everywhere there is famine and potentially loss of livestock, loss of goods, and even starvation and death. That's bad, isn't it? But it gets worse. Because you see, Jacob says, well, there is one place we can go and buy food. You need to go to, wait for it, Egypt. Oh, can't we just starve to death, Dad? We don't want to go to Egypt. Why? What's wrong with Egypt? Uh, I don't know. I didn't say anything bad about Egypt, did I? No, 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 no. We never, no, we never sent anyone toward Egypt, did we? No, no, no. We've never seen anyone going to Egypt ever, have we, brothers? No. But you can just imagine the fear that has gripped their hearts for year upon year upon year is now intensified and seizes them. And it is a matter in which they're not just afraid now, they're wondering whether something is up. You know what that's like, don't you? Perhaps when you were younger, or even now when you are young. When you decided that you would go with some friends to a place just for an hour, mom and dad would never know you'd be back before your curfew, and that would be good. And you walk into the door, and you are just happy as can be. You have gone to the mall when you weren't supposed to, You've driven in a car with people you weren't supposed to, and you come back in, and no one's the wiser. And then mom looks at you, and she says, So, where you been? Um, nowhere. Really? Done any good uh, shopping lately? Um, no, no. Really? What kind of a car have you been in lately? And you know, you say to yourself, She knows something. And it grips your heart. Young people, I've been young once. And I know that when that happens, you do not just spill the beans, do you? You say, um, I think I need to go lie down for a while in my room. And you hope just getting out of the situation will cause it all to blow over. But you're laying in your room and your mind is spinning and you're wondering, does she really know? Is she going to say something? Where am What is going on? 
And after some time, perhaps it feels a little better. And you go back downstairs and it starts again. So, where are you planning on going tomorrow? Any place that you've been recently? You're killing me, Mom. Okay, 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 I went out to the mall. Oh, really? That's surprising that you told me that. I didn't, I didn't accuse you of anything. No, Mom didn't accuse you. But the conscience did. You see, that's what's going on now, gripping the hearts of these men. But you see, underlying these circumstances, underlying this probing that God is doing for them, there is an underlying purpose. And often it is something that we cannot see. You see, they don't know anything that's going on with Joseph. They have no idea that God has been planning this for 20-some years. They have no idea that God is planning to reunite Joseph with his family. They have no idea that God is planning to redeem their family from all of the sin and the mess that is in their midst. And most of all, they have no idea that God is going to use these circumstances that are driving them crazy to fulfill his promise to Abraham and redeem humanity. You see, they are not fit now to carry out the promise of God. They are not beacons and lights to the world. They are not the ones who will bless the nations. They are not the ones who would have the Messiah come from them. Yet. But you see, God is at work. And it starts with a small voice in their heads reminding them that God is there and that He sees and that He judges. And God then takes this to the next step with them, starting to awaken their conscience as they come here in verse 6 to Egypt. They realize they have to go to Egypt as much as they don't want to. There's really no good excuse. You can't say, It's okay, Dad, we'll starve. We're a little too tired to go down to Egypt. And so they go down, and it just so happens that they come upon the place to buy grain where Joseph is. God's hand has been upon Joseph, molding him into the person that he is, preserving him for exactly this time. And they come here, and we do not expect this to be the case, do we? I realize that the text says Joseph was the one who sold to all the people in the land. Imagine that Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt and the job that he gets for that is grocery clerk. That he gets to stand and ring everybody up that comes through buying grain. No, he's there at this place supervising everything. It may even be that he's supervising the area where he knows people from Canaan come, wondering if anyone from his father's household will show up. You have to also understand that Joseph is not ready for this reunion. You see, God is the one who is in control here. Do you remember the very last thing that Joseph said this incident? Thank you, O Lord for helping me to forget my family. Do you remember that? At the end of chapter 41? And now here they are again. The providence of God works in mysterious ways. 
And he looks out and he recognizes his brothers. And can you possibly imagine the emotions that go through Joseph now? Well, maybe you can understand in a small way. Have you ever had a conflict with someone? A co-worker, a neighbor, a friend. And the conflict was such that you stopped talking to one another, at least for a period of time, maybe permanently. And then you're out and about somewhere enjoying yourself, thinking you're going to have a grand old time. Perhaps you're getting some food at Chick-fil-A or you're watching a baseball game or something. And all of a sudden you look and you see them. And you wonder, did they see me? Am I going to have to talk to them? I really don't want to. Because, you know, they did this and they did that and they did the other thing. And, wow, I'm really mad and angry. And all of a sudden, all you wanted was a chicken sandwich and you're ready to punch somebody. You can imagine this is welling up through Joseph. Perhaps he's also wondering. He sees the ten of them and he says, well, what's happened to my father? Where's Benjamin? He should be old enough to make this trip. Did something happen to him? Did they kill him too? You can imagine. Now, Joseph is not recognized. And I think we who look at the Bible wonder, who are these people that don't see their brother? You know, we're familiar with Joseph, but you have to... It has been 20 years. And Joseph very likely looks completely different. You see, the Hebrews would be out in the fields and they would be tanned from the sun. The Egyptians, the higher-ranking Egyptians would be pale from being inside because that was thought to be good and healthy. And you don't get a lot of sun in jail anyway. The Egyptians were clean-shaven, so Joseph would not have a beard that they would expect. He probably even had his head shaved and one of those square black wigs on. For all we know, as Joseph goes around, he walks like an Egyptian. And so they would not have any way of understanding who he would be. And so what they do is they come in and they bow down before him. Now, this is completely natural. It is completely expected. This is what you do when you are before a dignitary and you need their help in order to survive a famine. They're not the only ones doing this. But when that happens, that very little action has no consequence at all, a light bulb goes off over Joseph's head. The text tells us that he remembers his dream. You remember the dreams, don't you? The dreams where his brothers bowed down to him, especially the dreams where the ten sheaves of what? Grain bowed down before him. Now Joseph begins to understand My dream was really true. God is really with me. And God must have a purpose in all of this. And you see, when he understands the very word of God, it changes even Joseph. You see, he might have been tempted to try and take it out on his brothers. And as we look at this and we hear him speaking roughly and putting them in prison, we may think this is a vendetta, but it certainly is not. If Joseph wanted to get back at the brothers, all he would need to do is say, excuse me, guard, cut their heads off. The guard wouldn't even ask why. They would simply cut their heads off. 
So he's not trying to do them harm, but he's trying to do something else and that is driven by this knowledge of God's Word and the dream. You see, now the dream makes sense. And he starts to begin a plan because what he realizes is is that his will is not what is important here. God's will. You remember that most famous of sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Have you ever wondered what that looks like in your life? This is an example. You might need to give up anger, righteous indignation, heartache, that you are justified in to submit to the Lord's will. You see, Joseph is justifiably angry. He is justified in harming them and in seeking vengeance. This is not something that is outside the realm of the law. But he submits his will and his desires to the Lord's. You, with these kinds of things every day, you don't need to not see your brothers for 20 years to be faced with this. Every day we have our own desires, even our own good desires. And we have to, the Lord speaks to us in His Word. We have to put them off. This is what we do. And so, Joseph understands this. And some commentators think, and I, it seems to me that it's correct, that Joseph's first instinct would have been to instantly reveal himself to his brothers. Guys, it's me. Look, the wig comes off. But when God speaks to Joseph through this remembrance of the dream, checks Joseph's desire even for a reunion because what God is saying is they're not ready for it yet. We have to test them. We have to see if they have changed. We have to change them. And so Joseph begins with what is, quite frankly, a very reasonable accusation. You see, we look at this and we see it comes out of left field. Where does Joseph get this, you are spies? They're just coming to buy. Well, you have to understand that Egypt was most vulnerable throughout all of history from the area between Palestine and Egypt, that northeastern portion. Some kings even built a series of defense towers and canals in exactly that area to stop the people from Asia from swimming into Egypt and stealing the food and the grain that the Nile would provide. And here you have ten men. Oh yeah, they're all brothers. Sure they are. Dad sent this whole group of guys just to buy some food. And then we have to remember that this is something that we've seen in other places happen before. Ten men is perfectly legitimate to spy out the land and decide where we could attack. After all, the Israelites sent how many men into Canaan? Just 12. So it's a perfectly reasonable accusation. And it's also perfectly reasonable for Joseph to treat them harshly. See, we look at this and we say, Hey, Joseph, whoa, why so harsh? What's with all the rough attitude? Can't you make your point nicely? Remember who these men are. These are the men who murdered the Shechemites. These are the men who defiled their father's wife. 
These are the men who have slept with their daughter-in-law. These are the men who have sold their brother into slavery. These are not shy, retiring men. Joseph has to get their attention. And he does it in, in such a poetic way. Do you see it? He accuses them first of being a spy. Why is that? Well, if you take your mind back to Genesis 37, do you remember what Joseph was doing when his brothers, before his brothers sold him? He had been sent by his father to find out what his brothers were doing. How do you think they greeted him? Hey, Joseph, tattletale. Why do you got to come over here spying on us for dad? Could you imagine what Joseph would say? I'm not a spy. I'm an honest man. I'm doing what dad has asked me to do. No, no, no. You're a spy. I think it is not out of the realm of our sanctified imagination to wonder whether Joseph uses the exact same phrases with them that they used with him. The shoe was on the other foot. Turnabout. Here is God's play. And so he can continues. What happens after you're accused of being a spy? Well, after all, the next thing that you do is you get thrown into a pit or prison. And so the next step that he does is he throws them in the clink for three days to cool their heels, to wonder what it was like to lose control completely, to not know what's going to happen to you. You see, he is allowing them to experience what he experienced. And I think he does this in God's providence to bring about a result. Because you see, we have to understand something that we are losing more and more every day in this nation. And that is this concept. Guilt is good. Where it is deserved, guilt is good. Because understanding that we are wrong and we have sinned and we need to repent leads to repentance and restoration. Guilt is not good to wallow in, but it is a very effective force that God uses to turn us around and turn us back to Himself. You see, they're completely helpless here. They can't... Benjamin. They know Dad will never allow that. They can't explain why they can't. Well, you see, Your Honor, second to the Pharaoh, we, we, we can't bring our younger brother because, you see, we sold his brother into slavery and Dad doesn't trust us anymore. Oh, that goes real well with the we are honest men story. Right? Now they know what it feels like. You know the old saying, right? Don't judge someone else until you've walked a mile in their shoes. You see, we need to be careful of this too, even as the church. We see people do things and say things. And we immediately place a judgment upon them based on our circumstances. I would never do that. And yet, often we don't know their circumstances. Maybe that person who is railing against God and wondering if God's in control and God is not sovereign, maybe that person is dealing with the death of a loved one. It's fresh. And they're struggling. Maybe people who are fearful 
are struggling because circumstances for them have been so much harder than they have been for us. As we live life, we must consider what others are in, what providences God has given to them. And we see here that where providence is hard and where guilt grips you, even mercy has a bite. For you see what happens here? Joseph pulls them out of jail in verse 18. And he's going to let nine of them go. But I want you to see what he does. He says, let me tell you what I'm going to do, men. I fear God. Ooh. This pagan, he's more righteous than we are. I want you to know this point. The word God has not crossed the lips of any of the ten sons of Jacob. And here they are standing before an Egyptian potentate. And he says, let me tell you what I must do. I will be merciful because I fear God. Can you imagine how that, that is just turning the screws of the conscience? Oh, he, he doesn't even know us if he's going to be merciful to us. And, and our brother, oh, he cried out begging for mercy. And we didn't listen and we said, pass the lamb chops. Give me another drink of wine. Hey, shut up down there. You're ruining the drink and the food. Could you imagine the way they look at each other and, and God is now really after them. Their conscience is becoming completely awakened, but God will not let go of them. No, no, no. The change begins in them and they begin now Joseph and they do not speak of him anymore as that dreamer. He is our He is the boy that we did not listen to his cries. They begin finally stopping blaming mistakes and their circumstances. Just a quick aside. If you want to show the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and you really want to show the difference between you and the world, when you do something that is wrong, Own up to it. Don't say, well, you know, mistakes were made. Well, I guess I didn't use the best judgment. No. That's a weak man's thought. That's someone who doesn't want to take responsibility. And you see, finally, after 20 years, these men are about to take responsibility. And Joseph sees this and hears this and he's affected. Do not think young men, that Joseph is a crybaby here. You see, Joseph is overwhelmed with emotion because finally he sees that his brothers get it. They understand. They're sorry. And when you see that in someone else, doesn't it, it just breaks over you like waves. And he can't stand it. He turns around. And after he's able to compose himself, he looks back. And then he can speak to them. And God keeps after them. Like the hound of heaven coming after them and their conscience. For after they leave, they open up their sack and they say, Oh no, the money's in here. How did the money get in here? Now I want you to think about this. 
They are so pricked in conscience that they're wondering if some kind of angel dropped the money and this is some miracle. God is after us. He can see us. Where is he? And this is just a simple circumstance. Some servant who probably needed a bath took the money and stuck it in the sack. That's it. God does not need a miracle to work his will. He's working every single day. And you see, he is coming after them. Now they're even more guilty. They know they're going to go home. How are we going to explain this to Dad? Dad is going to be sure that we stole this grain. I'm sure he's going to think we stole the grain, but Simeon, and that's why he's there. And this is the final test of their conscience. They come home. What will they Have they really begun to change? Because you see, the last time they came to Jacob, they looked him straight in the eye and they lied right through their teeth. And they would be wondering, maybe we need to lie here. Perhaps they're even talking on the journey to go back. He's never going to believe this story. We've got to come up with something better that he'll believe. He'll never believe this. You can imagine over the last 20 years, they've looked guilty all the time. Not exactly paragons of truth they realize that they have to tell the truth. Not to get their way. Not to convince They have to tell the truth because the Lord God sees them. Now they understand that in conscience. Do you know that the Lord God sees everything that you do? Whether you acknowledge Him or not. Whether you profess faith in Him or not. He sees every single thing that you do. Every thought that you have, you cannot escape him. Give up trying. There is hope, and that hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. In not worrying anymore if anyone will see. In not worrying what the punishment will be that will come. In just understanding that the punishment has come upon another in your place. That is what the Lord calls you to. Not to hiding. Not to lying, but to owning up to your sins and in finding redemption in Christ. Have they really changed? I think so. There's now finally a sense of responsibility in these ten men. Now, they're still not the brightest tacks, the brightest bulbs, sharpest tacks around. Because Reuben's big idea and plan is, listen, we'll take back. If we don't bring him back, you can kill my two sons. I don't get my son back. I get to kill my two grandsons. Not exactly designed to close the deal. But you can see he's fumbling around. He's not used to this. He's not used to responsibility. And he thinks of the only thing that he can Listen. I want you to be so confident that I will follow Dad, that I will not this time, that I will put my two sons in your custody. You see, repentance also takes time. And if your conscience is pricked, and if the Lord is saying something to you, you have to understand, we don't often turn on a dime. But God is the one who is at work. God is the one who is the Lord of the conscience. And you need to today listen to him and at the same time be encouraged. Because you see, God can do more than you expect. 
God can do more than you even dream. God may be planning right now in your life something that has been 20 years in the making to draw you closer to himself. This is how marvelous, how powerful, and how wise our great God is. Let's pray.